Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Hello, and welcome to Eastlake Church. My, uh, I'm not Brent. Uh, my name's Jeremiah. I am a pastor at Westbridge Church in St. Michael, Minnesota. Uh, if you've never been there, uh, it's pretty exotic. It's probably, it's, it's a big vacation destination. You're going to want to check it out. And uh, uh, Brent uh, called me a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, I need someone to fill in. And uh, he had already called about eight people, so I'm the ninth choice, uh, but happy to do it. And uh, we love Brent and Kylie. Uh, my wife and I have been friends with them for years. Love those guys. Love Eastlake uh, Tri-Cities. And uh, man, always fun when a church gets to hear from different voices. And so uh, honored to, to be able to share with you this morning uh, or today or whenever you happen to be listening or watching. Uh, we're going to learn from another voice, James, the brother of Jesus. And uh, when James wrote a letter to followers of Jesus in the first century, there's one sort of major theme that, uh, one of the themes that kind of stands out and stands the test of time. And it's this kind of big idea that we're going to look at today. James says this, followers of Jesus learn to patiently endure. Followers of Jesus learn how to patiently endure. And one of the most important uh, parts of the way of Jesus involves enduring trials or problems or uh, suffering or pain or whatever things that come our way. And how I understand and deal with suffering and how I understand and deal with uh, pain and trials has a huge influence on the person I become. And the real question uh, with problems and pain and suffering is not, uh, will it happen? Because it will. The real question is, does it mean anything? What can I learn from it? How is it shaping me? And there's a 19th century German philosopher named Arthur Schopenhauer. Uh, he ended up having a very large influence on the modern world. He was an atheist. Uh, in fact, uh, some of his uh, work is still studied in modern psychology. Uh, he wrote a book called Studies in Pessimism. And in it, he writes that existence is so bleak that if people were rational, we would actually never have children so that we could... Uh, our, our children could be spared the burden of existence. Sounds like a fun guy, right? Let me give you a few of uh, Arthur Schopenhauer's more famous quotes. Uh, he says this, today is bad and day by day it will get worse until at last the worst of all arrives. <laughs> In other words, he basically says, life sucks and then you die. He was the original life sucks and then you die guy. That was his quote. Uh, he taught that the world is meaningless. Here's another quote from him. He says this, Human life must be some kind of mistake. <laughs> That's a snappy bumper sticker for you, isn't it? That's like a, a great way to greet your kids in the morning uh, when you open up the fridge and, and you pull out yet another empty carton of milk and nobody knows how it got put in there and you just go, ah, human life must be some kind of mistake. He actually believed that our main comfort in life is the thought that when things are bad for us, uh, that they are still worse for others. And so he wrote this quote, the best comfort in affliction will be the thought of other people who are in a still worse plight than yourself. We are like lambs in a field waiting under the eye of the butcher. <laughs> just a, just a, a really, really uh, interesting guy. Huh? In fact, here's what Arthur Schopenhauer looks like. I mean, he just looks fun, doesn't he? 
someone you want to hang out with. And he's not a, a guy who got invited to a lot of parties. Uh, he was arrogant and paranoid. He slept at night with a loaded pistol. Uh, once, when an old woman was chatting outside of his room, he was so irritated that he pushed her down a flight of stairs. And the courts made him pay restitution to her for the rest of her life. And she lived for another 20 years. But that didn't cause him to pause and reflect on the meaning of life. Uh, instead, when she died, he got a copy of her death certificate, and he wrote on it in Latin the phrase, obit honest, obit onus, which means the old woman dies and the burden goes. <laughs> he died lonely and selfish and miserable, but he did make one other observation that I think is particularly insightful. He said this, life presents itself as a series of tasks. Life presents itself as a series of tasks. Now, this is pretty insightful when you think about it because life really does present itself as a series of tasks, challenges, uh, problems. You're born, and then you have to take your first breath, and you have to be fed, and you have to be clothed and cleaned and moved around, and you have to learn how to cry to get somebody else to do all of those things for you. And then you learn how to walk and talk and dress yourself and feed yourself. And then you have to go to school and you have to learn how to read and write and arithmetic, right? And you're, you're given problems and you take tests so you can get good grades, so you can get a good job and find a place to live and fix meals and wash dishes, clean the house, you know, navigate traffic, pay bills, and maybe have kids of your own. And then those kids learn how to cry so that you can do all of those things for them. And then you get old and you cry so that uh, people can do those things for you once again. And sometimes someone else has to feed you and clothe you and clean you, and then you die. And the main thought from studies in pessimism is that suffering is meaningless. Life is hard, and then you die. Life presents itself as a series of tasks, troubles, problems, difficulties, and then you die. And then there's this whole other line of thought that comes from another writer who happens to be the brother of Jesus. And so James, the brother of Jesus, becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And what James writes is pretty fascinating when it comes to troubles, trials, difficulties. He writes this, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I would say this is an outrageously optimistic way of looking at problems and suffering and pain. But it's optimism with a twist. It is not optimistic at all about the circumstances. James doesn't say, hey, if you follow Jesus, nothing bad will happen to you. Instead, we learn this incredible lesson from the words of James, and it's this. When something bad is happening to you, something good can be happening in you. Human nature wants good things to happen to me. I want money and health and approval and reputation and attractiveness and security. God wants good things to happen in me. God wants the formation of character and love and courage, and joy, and simplicity, and truthfulness, and generosity, and peace. And God uses our circumstances. Life presents itself as a series of tasks. God uses those things each and every day, all of the big things, all of the little things, to form our character. Now, God never causes those circumstances. He doesn't, he doesn't send trouble our way, but he does use them. And James says, whenever you face them, whenever you face trials or troubles of any kind, that means any kind. Uh, troubles I cause, 
or troubles caused by others. Old problems, new problems. Short-term problems, long-term problems. Big problems that seem difficult that I'm never going to overcome. Little problems, relational troubles, financial troubles, emotional troubles, spiritual troubles. And often when people think about uh, suffering in faith, they think of just major life-threatening diseases or, or the loss of a loved one and th- those things that make people wonder, like, God, where are you in the middle of this? And that's a very important topic and one that's been covered, one that will be covered again, and this certainly encapsulates that. At the same time, uh, we're, we're also talking about just the everyday troubles and trials that come our way. And when we look at those things and how that relates to just our own spiritual growth, the place to start is with the ordinary troubles of everyday life. Life presents itself as a series of tasks. And a place to start is by noticing all of the ways that I experience my life as a task or a trial or a trouble or a challenge, starting with getting up in the morning. How come I couldn't sleep better? Right? It's too early to get up. I'm still tired. I don't want to get up. I have too many things to accomplish today. And then it's time to eat. I'm eating too much. I don't like my body. Uh, how come I can't cut down? Uh, how come I, I don't have the stuff that I want to eat? Then it's time to get dressed. I have nothing to wear. I have too much to wear. I, I have too much clutter in my closet. Uh, you know, nothing makes me look good. Then I have to commute to work, and there are rude drivers, and, and stop and go traffic, and too much time in my car, and having a car that I don't like, or having to make too many payments on my car, having to get my car fixed, not having a car at all. And then work itself, too much to do, too many emails to answer. That coworker that is literally tap dancing on my last nerve, you know, uh, being interrupted, having a project go badly and not getting the promotion that, of course, I deserved, feeling that I'm underpaid and underrecognized and undervalued. And then uh, things just in our family, in our home. Oh, I had a fight with my spouse, or I don't have a spouse, or my kids are in trouble at school, or they're making bad choices about friends, or alcohol, or sex, or lying, or they're dealing with issues with their mental health. Or I'm a young mom, and, and I'm exhausted, and it feels like my husband never helps. Or I'm a young husband, and I feel overwhelmed. Very often, what is a trial for me, what I see as a, a, a difficulty, life presents itself as a series of tasks. What I see as a, a trouble, a trial, a difficulty that has come my way is embarrassingly trivial, if I'm being honest about it. We often call them first world problems. Oh, I'm having such a bad hair day. My iPhone froze up, or the Wi-Fi isn't working fast enough on this flight that I'm on. Could you imagine how that would sound to the vast majority of uh, the human race throughout history? (laughs) I I love uh, what uh, a comedian Louis C.K. said several years ago. We find a way to complain about a flight that goes from the East Coast to the West Coast in five hours. That trip used to take 30 years, right? And uh, you'd, babies would be born and people would die and you'd arrive and be a completely different group of people. And it's so true. Well, we can go on a flight, flying hundreds and hundreds of miles through the air, uh, you know, and uh, to some other place and visit people. And uh, my capacity to connect to and gain information from all over the world is taking place more slowly than I would appreciate. What a horrible thing to be me. My remote control doesn't have batteries. Now I got to walk all the way over to the TV and turn the channel. Like, what am I, a barbarian? Meet me halfway, am I right? You know, the lines on the ski lift during vacation are too long. My masseuse used the wrong pressure. I left my phone charger at home, and I can't remember the stupid passwords for my stupid accounts that let me buy stuff from all over the world. Anybody else besides me have password issues? (laughs) <laughs> that happens all the time. And just when I learn the, the new one, uh, I got to change it again, right? Three months later. 
And James says, whenever these trials come your way, whatever trial, however, however embarrassingly trivial it might seem, all of the time, from one moment to the next, life presents itself as a series of tasks. And whenever these trouble come your way, in other words, they're unexpected. I didn't initiate these problems. They just come my way. And when you think about spiritual growth, there's some things that you can initiate. I can initiate surrender. I, I can initiate uh, prayer. I can initiate reading the scriptures or community or serving others, but not trials and troubles. I don't initiate those things. They just come my way. And that's partly why they're so fundamental to spiritual growth. I can get a little bit self-righteous about how I'm initiating surrender or I'm initiating prayer or I'm initiating studying the scriptures or, or community, but not troubles and trials. They just come. They just come your way. Well, when do they stop? When will you stop having troubles? When you die. In fact, uh, it is proven, scientifically proven, that the number of problems you experience and the rate at which you experience them significantly decreases when you die, which is ironic. Because in the modern world, we have more technology and more education, more wealth and more science than ever before, and yet we seem so surprised and sometimes even offended when troubles come my way. When troubles come to me, it's like, well, why me? Well, why did that happen to me? What, what did I do to deserve that? There ought to be a law. Somebody should be fired. Somebody should be sued. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're really honest, there's something a little bit self-absorbed with this line of thinking. Why me? Why do I go through this? When someone else experiences something that is a difficulty, a trouble, or even something traumatic in their life, it's a prayer request. God help them. God, God be with them. God give them strength. But when it happens to me, my faith is shaken. And there's something a little bit self-absorbed about that way of thinking. And for people following the way of Jesus, things are different. It's a different perspective. In fact, Jesus' friend and one of his closest friends and followers, a guy named Peter, uh, would write this to followers of Jesus in the first century. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. It's like, why, why are you surprised by this? Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Life presents itself as a series of tests. The goal of life is not to stop having problems. In fact, James says, whenever you're met with and face troubles of any kind, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Talk about a, a complete shift in perspective, right? Do you think James really meant this? Or is this just the, the kind of stuff religious people write to sound good? You might think it's kind of religious cliche, but stop and think about the fact that James is writing to people who genuinely knew about suffering. In the ancient world, half of all children died before they reached adulthood. Uh, most of the people James wrote to were dirt poor. Many were slaves. They lived and died not owning their own lives, not having control over their own bodies. They were scattered because of religious persecution from which James himself would eventually suffer and be put to death. And so consider is a really important word for followers of Jesus. It has to do with how I evaluate or how I discern or understand or interpret what is happening to me. It's an invitation to see things differently. This word, consider. It's an invitation to see things from a different point of view. Not by looking at conventional wisdom, and not by looking at what everyone else does, but by looking at what is happening to me through the lens of what God wants to do in me. In fact, this isn't really a big biblical principle or anything, but it's a principle of life, that 
Growth often follows a new perspective. Oftentimes, we grow when we're invited to consider something, when we're invited to see something from a different vantage point. Uh, One of my uh, favorite movies is uh, a movie called Dead Poet Society. Now, it's a little bit of an older movie, and uh, there's, a, there's a scene in the movie, uh, you know, spoiler alert here, you're like, oh, dude, I haven't seen it yet. Well, you, you've had a little time. Uh, you're like, I was going to go out to Blockbuster and rent that on the way home. Uh, Dead Poet Society is a, is a movie about a, an all-boys high school, and in the, this, uh, one of the scenes, Robin Williams is the teacher, and he invites all of his students to stand up on top of their desks. And so everyone stands up on top of their desks, and he says, now just look around. I just want you to look around at each other. I want you to look around and see the room. And the whole point was that he wanted them simply to see things from a different vantage point. Because when you see things from a different vantage point, you consider things that you may have never considered. That word consider is a practice that is found throughout the New Testament. Paul writes at one point, consider others as better than yourselves. In other words, think differently. That's not what human ego does. It doesn't do that naturally. So the the word consider is an invitation to do something that you wouldn't naturally do. Paul says Christ did not consider equality with God as something to cling to. Well, you would naturally, if you were God, you'd want to hold on to that. Paul says, no, he didn't consider that. So he thought about it differently. The writer of Hebrews tells us Moses considered suffering for Christ to be more valuable than the riches of Egypt you would think that the riches of Egypt would be more valuable than suffering. And yet, Moses considered suffering for Christ to be more valuable than the riches of Egypt. In other words, he saw it from a different perspective. When Paul was arrested for following Jesus and was standing in front of King Agrippa, he said, I consider myself fortunate to be standing before you today. Why would you consider yourself fortunate to be on trial, to be a prisoner? No other prisoner would have said that. But when you look through the lens of eternity, when you look through a different perspective, it allows you to consider things you may have never considered. You really ought to translate the word consider to reconsider. Get a second opinion. Run the numbers a second time. Review your assessment of current reality through the lens of eternity and through the lens of the Jesus way of living, and you might just see your troubles and your trials differently. There's still pain still hardship. It can still be confusion. But you can remove them from the, dat, from the debt category, and you can put them in the asset category because something bigger is going on. Consider means I don't just look at my troubles and at my problems and at my suffering, but that I look through them to see that God is still at work even in my troubles. And therefore, James says, when you face those troubles, you can consider it an opportunity for great joy. It's almost like he remembers the words of his brother Jesus when Jesus said this, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. Like, seriously, Jesus? Really, James? That seems like such a ridiculous way to live life. Why would anyone do that? Why should I look at my problems that I'm facing on a day-to-day basis, however big or however small they are, and consider them an opportunity for joy? Well, here's why. An eternal perspective produces endurance. It does something to us. James tells us that the testing of our faith produces endurance, perseverance, grit, determination to keep going 
and to stay steady on the path marked out for us. It's creating character in us. And here's the, the reality. God never sends or causes testing, but God uses that to make us stronger, to encourage us, to mature our faith. And every trial, as it comes to me, is an opportunity to reconsider. It's an opportunity to change my perspective. It's an opportunity to be reminded to push through because there's something better waiting for me in eternity. And so I can find the care of God showing up in everyday trials and troubles. I can find God in the traffic jam. I can find God in the computer crash. I can find God in this snarky email. I can find God in this colicky baby. I can find God in the problem that might be sitting next to me right now. All eyes right here, right here. Now, I know that as I go through whatever trials and troubles I face on a day-to-day basis, that God is using those things to refine my character, to make me more patient, to make me more loving, to make me more kind, more forgiving, more generous, more selfless, if I will change my perspective and if I will choose to see what is happening to me through the lens of what God is doing in me, and if I will choose to see it through the lens of eternity, what is happening right now in this moment, if I can pull out of that and see it through the lens of eternity, it produces hope and endurance. Uh, I'm a big sports fan, uh, but basketball was always my first love when it comes to sports. Growing up as a kid, I grew up in the uh, Michael Jordan era. And so I know that, uh, you know, uh, there's all kinds of conversations now about uh, who's the, the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time. Is it Michael Jordan? Is it LeBron James? And uh, just personally, I just have to tell you, it's not even a conversation, all right? And as much res- respect that I have for LeBron James, Jordan is the GOAT. And uh, I'm just telling you, if you have a problem with that, just, you know, send me an email and we can talk about it. It's jeremiah at idontgivearip.com because uh, Jordan is the GOAT. Okay, now, as a kid, I used to, uh, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, so I grew up watching Jordan, and uh, I would actually record Michael Jordan basketball games on a what is known as a, uh, a VHS tape or a VCR. You can just Google that later and find out what that is, but I had these still in my parents' house, all of these videotapes of Michael Jordan games. I'll never forget the series between Michael Jordan and the Suns, uh, the, the Bulls and the Suns, uh, for the finals, and uh, I remember watching that as a teenager. I taped every one of those games. I would watch them back again and again. What's interesting is uh, there was one game in particular where the Suns had the best record in the NBA that year, and uh, they were kind of the favorite to win. And yet, uh, when you watch the game, there was one game where the Suns were winning, and as I was watching it for the first time, I was watching it live, and and I'm I'm watching the action go down, I recognized, like, man, the Bulls, I don't know if they're going to win. And so I was nervous. I I was like on the edge of my seat, you know, just I I wanted the Bulls to win so bad. Now... The second time I watched it, after I recorded it and I watched it back, all the same stuff was happening, but I was much more calm. My nerves weren't quite what they were the first time around. And the reason for that is because even when the Bulls fell behind by 10, 11, 12 points, I knew the ending. And so I I could endure whatever was happening in the game because I recognized I know how this ends. For followers of Jesus we are able to endure because we know how it ends. The Apostle Paul would say it like this in Romans. He says, I consider, there's that word again, I invite you to see things differently. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed, not to us, but in us. The glory that will be revealed in us. I consider, he says, my perspective, when I replay the tapes, When I run the numbers a second time, looking through the lens of eternity, what we suffer presently won't even compare to the glory 
that will be revealed, not to us, but in us. This is a fundamentally different perspective for viewing life. We think great joy is having great circumstances regardless of our character. James says, no, no, great joy comes from having great character regardless of your circumstances. See, circumstances come and go. Character lasts. Pain is temporary. Joy is eternal. And God is not in the business of designing our circumstances, but he is in the business of designing our character. And every single trouble that we face, no matter how small, no matter how trivial, no matter how large or traumatic, is an opportunity for us to be reminded that what God is doing in us far outweighs what is happening to us. Now, two things, and then we'll close. Two years ago, uh, my daughter, who at the time was 14, about to turn 15 years old, uh, my wife and I were at dinner with some friends and, uh, on a Saturday night, and we got a phone call. And it was uh, her friend's mom, and I, I picked up the phone, and uh, what I thought was her friend's mom ended up being a police officer, a state trooper. And he said, is, is your daughter Chloe Curran? I said, yes. And he said, um, she has been in an accident. And uh, she's in critical condition, and she's being airlifted to a hospital. And so we were just immediately got up from the table and just, you know, all the things that go through your mind. And we had no idea the extent of her injuries. He said that she was unresponsive and being airlifted and just, we don't know which hospital, we'll let you know, uh, stay by your phone. So we started driving towards uh, Minneapolis, knowing it's probably going to be somewhere in the Twin Cities. And as we got about 10 minutes away from downtown, we got another call from HCMC, which is a level one a trauma center here in Minneapolis. They said, your daughter's here, please get here as fast as you can. And all we can think about as I'm, as I'm driving is just you know, what if she doesn't make it? I mean, this girl is uh, the life of the party in our family and brings so much fun. And I just kept thinking like, man, God, what if, what if she doesn't make it? What are we going to do? And, uh, and I also knew that I had to get to the point in my own mind and in my own heart that as we're driving to the hospital that that could be a very real possibility. And if she doesn't make it, where, where does that leave me? And where does it leave our family? So I just prayed, God, I had to get to the point where if I had to face that reality, God, she belonged to you before she belonged to us. So I'm just praying that, and I'm crying, and I'm driving, and God, before she belonged to us, she belonged to you. And if this, if this is it, I still trust you and you're still good. I don't know how people who don't have an eternal perspective can survive those types of troubles and trials when they come their way. The only thing that gives me peace in that moment is, God, I know the ending. And I know that the sufferings I, I consider, I can, I, can, I can run the tapes and I, I, I know your character and I know how faithful you've been. And I can, when I pause and consider, I recognize that what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. And so uh, her car went off the road. These are pictures of her car. Uh, it went off the road, jumped 80 feet, hit a telephone pole, flipped six times. 
we, uh, we have a couple of pictures of this is what the car looked like after uh, she was sitting in the back seat and her and some friends. Uh, you can see that a telephone pole literally just canoed that thing. When we arrived at the hospital, this is what we found. And she was on life support. And it's just one of those things where you go, God, I need, I, I don't know how else to play this other than I know the ending. And I'm happy to report, I mean, I'm thrilled to report, miraculously, she survived, she's doing amazing. And, and yet, I know it very easily could have gone the other way. And what I have to recognize is, God, just because something bad is happening to us, you could still be working in us. Now, let me tell you one more part of James's story, and then we'll close. Where I think the turning point of his life actually came because it might be a turning, life, a turning point in your life as well. James is the brother of Jesus. You might think that that gave him a distinct advantage when it comes to having faith and, and, and putting trust in God, but the scriptures actually tell us a very different story. We're told that early in Jesus' ministry, when Jesus' family heard about the strange things he was doing, they uh, went to take charge of him, and they said, he's out of his mind. And that was James. James, the brother of Jesus, thought that Jesus had lost it. Uh, We're told later in the ministry of Jesus, his own brothers didn't even believe in him. That's James. Imagine what it must have been like to be a sibling in that family, right? Uh, How many of you uh, have a sibling? How many of you have a brother or sister? And how many of you have ever had a fight with your brother or sister? Yeah, everybody, right? It, It must not have been easy to have Jesus for a big brother. Like, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? Right? Or, or Jesus, you always think you're right, don't you? And he's like, well, Jesus, oh, who do you think you are? God? Well, and even on the cross, Jesus looks at his friend John and says, behold your mother. And, and to Mary, he says, behold your son, because the rest of Jesus' family isn't there. And they're thinking to themselves, watching their mother be crushed, this is it. This is the end. It's over. Like James is thinking Jesus died and whatever he claimed to be is done. Suffering wins, death wins, despair wins, studies in pessimism. Except that in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he writes that Jesus rose from the dead and that he appeared to the 12 disciples. And then he appeared to a large group of his followers. Paul says 500 brothers and sisters, many of whom are still alive at the time of this writing. And then Paul singles out one name. He says this, then Jesus appeared to James. Everyone else on the list, Jesus came to know as an adult. This is his baby brother. They grew up together. They were kids together. And now Jesus appears to him after his death. Hey, Jim, what's up? Turns out I was God after all. And that was the moment where everything changed for James. And that was the moment he realized there is more to this life than this life. And his brother was actually his savior and his Lord. And when he understood the eternal life, not just what happens here, but the eternal life that Jesus came to offer, he could gain an eternal perspective that would give him hope and peace and joy, even when all of life's circumstances point to the contrary. And eventually, James, the brother of Jesus, would be executed as a martyr for his faith because he knew that even when something bad is happening to you, something good can be happening in you. It's why he can write these words, whenever trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I wanna live with the kind of eternal perspective that allows my daily life, uh, presenting itself as a series of tasks, to 
to be filled with that kind of joy. I want to be able to stop and consider the fact that my present suffering, whatever I'm enduring now, my present troubles, my present trials, do not compare to the glory that will one day be revealed in us. And just like for James, today could be the day that changes everything for you. You can move from death to life by saying yes to Jesus. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you to agree with this prayer that we're going to pray in just a moment as a way to say yes to the invitation of Jesus to follow him and to follow his way of living. And if the ultimate in unfair suffering, the crucifixion of Jesus is the ultimate in unfair suffering. And if that could ultimately turn out to be nothing more than the setup for a resurrection, then we should consider it an opportunity for great joy when we face troubles of any kind. So Jesus came into this world he allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, including James, the brother of Jesus, he rose from the dead. That means there is more to this life than this life. You and I have been invited to be a part of God's family forever. And you can't earn your way or behave your way in. It's an invitation that's been extended to you. And if you'd like to say yes to that invitation, just agree with this prayer. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for those times where I've walked away from you, and I'm so grateful that you never walk away from me. And I want to say yes to your invitation. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And then help me to put my trust in you and to follow you with the way I live my life. I want you to be the leader of my life. And God, I pray for every one of us that as we face problems, trials, suffering, the troubles that come our way, no matter how big or how small, may we be reminded that just because something bad is going on around us, that you can still be at work within us. And may it cause us to live life with an eternal perspective. May it bring hope to us and point others to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app, by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.